All right, let us pray. Heavenly Father, you see the hurts that are going on in our world today. And we're glad that you're a God of compassion whose arms are outstretched, ready to touch and bring peace and harmony to hurting hearts today. Well, we thank you that you care and you understand us. And to know, Lord, the good news is a place by you where there's peace and rest. And we pray, Lord, for all those who are hurting, would we willing to reach out to you and receive a touch. In the name of Jesus, we pray. So we're still in the series of Faith Over Fear. And I want to talk to you today about over the fear and into the field. Over the fear and into the community. Over the fear and into the workplace. How to overcome fear in sharing our faith is what I'm about today. We don't hear too much about the term soul winning these days, but in my day it was around quite a bit. Winning people to Christ. I remember my dad's library, there were some books there. Winning People to Christ by Wally Guilford. Um, the Soul Winner's Secret by Samuel Logan Bringle, the commissioner in the Salvation Army. And uh, in the latter times, we came across the uh, Evangelism Explosion by Kennedy. And then you come up with um, uh, the guy who wrote uh, 10 Basic Steps for uh, Christian Maturity, Bill Bright and the Campus Crusade. And then I hear that uh, my granddaughter, Chloe, is involved in an organisation called Power to Change, which is a continuation of um, the Campus Crusade. And their, their theme is connecting people to Jesus and to each other. And we're really proud of our granddaughter being involved in universities over these coming years to come. But in my early years of ministry, um, I was intentional in my witnessing. Uh, whether it was door to door or whether it was uh, just by casual conversation or whether it was uh, by appointment. I was intentional in going and talking about the Lord. I wasn't going to talk about politics or about the weather, but about the Lord Jesus Christ. I just finished my internship uh, in America with John Maxwell and I finished in May 1983, quite a few years ago. And I couldn't, get back, couldn't wait to get back to my new appointment as pastor of Maribyrnong Church. We had oh, about 40 attending at that time. And um, I was fired up and I was uh, ready to go. And after four months being with John, anyone would be fired up and ready to go. But I know there were occasions when I had a few little doubts. I heard some discouraging news back in my former church and uh, butterflies start to come and fears start to come. And then my wife said to me, Graham, or she must have called me sweetheart or darling or something like that. You know, you know they could build as many walls of Jericho in front of us, but nothing is going to stop us from building a great work for God. They can put as many red seas in front of us, but nothing is going to stop us <laughs> from building a great work for God. I thank God for my wife, a godly woman, and every pastor who has a godly woman behind 
then uh, is really, really blessed. And I thank God for the encouragement that she has given me. However, before we went uh, to return back to Australia, I was asked to do a series of uh, lectures on sharing your faith in one of our Wesleyan churches in Michigan. And so after the second night, I said to the pastor, this is ridiculous, trying to teach people how to share their faith. It's like trying to fly a plane at a telephone booth. Uh, we need to get some practical experience. So I suggested to him a couple of things and he, uh, he said, well, you feel free to do what you want to. So I gave an invitation one night for people to come forward if they want to go out sharing their faith. And about 20 came. And I said to the pastor, you get me about 10, 12 contacts, people who were connected with the church and who uh, had, uh, whether they were parents of the youth group or parents of the Sunday school kids, but who didn't attend church, but they were connected in some way. You get us about 10 or 12 contacts and uh, we'll uh, meet at the church on a particular night. And so we did that. We broke up in the groups of two. And then I gave them, we had a little prayer and then uh, I suggested that we arrive back at the church in about two hours. So here we are. I was allotted two board members. Now, one of the board members looked like a mafia and I thought, well, I'm going to be safe. As we went out onto, the, onto these appointments and uh, walking along and, and driving along and I came, we came to the house and the... Uh, knocked on the door and the guy came out and said, oh, you brought the choir with you. Now, I don't recommend that you go out in threes, but uh, that wasn't a good start. But anyway, we, we cut long story short, we shared the gospel, that guy received the Lord into his life. And then when we arrived back at the church, there were shouts of victory and praise for people coming from this street, from that street, of what the Lord was able to do in and through their lives. That was a memorable day for me. That was a memorable day for the church, let me tell you. So I did the same when I arrived back in Maribyrnong in June 1983. And today is no different. Methods change, but the message doesn't change. Today, these are days, I believe, of opportunity where People's hearts are failing them for fear. But remember that the harvest doesn't always stay ripe. The harvest can rot. And um, if not taken care of. And then in Jeremiah, in chapter 8, verse 20, Jeremiah predicts the coming disaster upon his people. And he says, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. And then he goes on in verse 22 of chapter 8. Is there no balm in Gilead, he says, that saves the sin-sick soul, that makes the wounded whole? And because that name is Jesus, there's a song about that uh, verse, is there no balm in Gilead? One of the verses goes that if you cannot preach like Peter and if you cannot pray like Paul, just tell the love of Jesus that he, and say that he died for all. There is a balm in Gilead. But having said that, there was another book written some years ago by the name of, um, a guy by the name of uh, James Engel, entitled What's Gone Wrong with the Harvest? And he said that the harvest isn't ripe, it's green and immature. 
and um, we're in danger of picking green fruit. People really don't have an understanding uh, these days of God and of who Jesus is. And, and so they need some instruction in order to make, I believe, an intelligent decision. So he goes on and say, we can be in danger of picking green fruit. You may get decisions for Christ, but you may not get conversions. Now, there's, there's nothing worse than uh, fear coming into our lives. A lack of confidence. Not knowing where to start. And so I want to uh, suggest today on how to gain some courage and some confidence. My wife and I were talking uh, a few weeks ago about this, over uh, courage and confidence, and we came up with five things. Number one is knowing the Lord Jesus Christ personally. That's obviously key. Having the assurance in our heart that we have been forgiven by God and we have an intimate relationship with him. The second thing is knowing his word. As you've heard me say before, we need to be into the word and the word needs to get into us. In other words, know what you believe and why you believe it. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who needs not be ashamed, but who rightly divides the word of truth. And if we don't do that, you end up with truth decay. Sorry about the pun. Truth decay. And of course, when that happens, we allow spiritual viruses to come in that destroy and eat away the truth of God's word so that we eventually, anything goes in our belief system. Michael Yusuf says, and so we chop up the scriptures according to our biases and our prejudices. If you want to know what's going on in churches today around the world, read Michael Yusuf's book on saving Christianity. It's a real eye-opener to the trends that are going around today. But number three is knowing the authority of Jesus, that he actually tells us, instructs us that we are to go and tell. That is a confidence booster. And then number four, know how to present the gospel. Know a plan of salvation. My plan, and I don't have time to go into it, but my plan was, uh, the points was repent, believe, confess and receive. Know a plan in leading people to Christ and then knowing where to start is another key. So these help build confidence and courage in sharing your faith. It did me as I would go from place to place knowing that the Lord was with me and I had his authority. Second Timothy 1 says that for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So I want to talk to you today about overcoming fear in sharing your faith. And as long as you and I are human, uh, there will always be some intimidation in sharing your faith. Uh, James Hamilton uh, has been up north of Queensland sharing his faith and delivering 10,000 tracts. And he rang me uh, a couple of weeks back to say that, oh, Graham, I just led two people to the Lord. What a dear man, delivering 10,000 tracks, wearing out a pair of shoes. And I say, James, my brother, I'm preaching on this subject today and I want to tell you, you've got beautiful feet. Uh, because the Bible says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of the gospel to everyone. 
And I think James has just arrived back down here in Brisbane. I remember when I went to Miraburra uh, Church to start, we had about 40 attending then, and I preached for six months on why we need to grow as a church. We had, uh, and then, what, maybe after two months, I said, look, I want to go and share, I want to go and visit all the parents of the Sunday school children. We had a good Sunday school going at that time. So I said, look, if anyone wants to know how to share your faith, you come with me and I'll take you with you, teach you how to do that. So sure enough, the Sunday school superintendent came up after the service and said, I'd like to go with you, Graham. And I thought, well, I knew you would to know what I'm going to do with your Sunday school. But his name was Brian Brown. And I uh, used to have all my, I used to make all my appointments. I would give them the option of two positives. I used some of my selling skills that would you like to, uh, would Tuesday at 7 or 7.30 be convenient? And I'd make the appointment. And then Brian was happy to do that. And he came along and picked me up on the first night, I remember. And I hopped in the car and I said, Brian, you're looking forward to this today, going out? Witnessing? And he said, oh, I sure am. He was the most positive person you could get. And I said under my breath, you liar. Um, I'm going to shake and like anything. And there was another time when, we, uh, when he called for us and he, we came and uh, went to the house and knocked on the door and there's no one answered. And I thought, oh, how good's that? I'll be able to write that on my stat form. Visited, but no one home. And then he said, why don't we go around the back? <laughs> And I thought, my giddy aunt, why did they bring him? But anyway, that were just some of the fears that I had that I had to overcome. And uh, so let me give you some of the fears that you may identify with. Number one is the fear of failure. Um, sometimes we think when we share our faith and the people do not respond that we have failed. I want to tell you, folks, I want to let you into a secret. When I share my faith, the gospel, with someone else, I never fail. But you might say, but, but um, the, does that mean that everyone responds to Christ? No, it does not mean. I can't save anybody. My job is to present the gospel in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and leave the results to him. And so... Um, I never fail when I share my faith. Now, the thing is, I can't save anybody. No one can become a Christian unless the Holy Spirit draws that person to him. I only fail when I do not witness for Christ when the opportunity arises. And I want to say that you are never a, fail, a failure when you share your faith, whether they respond or they don't. The second fear is the fear of making a mistake. Oh, I'm afraid I'll say something wrong. Or I'm afraid that I'll drive them away. Well, let me ask you a question. If they're already lost, where are you driving them to? Hell number two? Don't be afraid of making a mistake. The Holy Spirit can still overcome our inadequacies. The third fear is not knowing what to say. And can I make a practical suggestion here? Why don't you take time to write out your own personal testimony of what Christ has done in your life and what he means to you. And uh, then 
pray for an opportunity to share that. Knowing where, and also, after you do that, it's good then to find out a plan of salvation, how you can go through the steps of leading people to Christ. Know where to turn in your Bible. Learn the steps in receiving Christ. Number four is the fear of intruding into people's lives, their private lives. Now, there's a couple of things here. If evangelism was our lifestyle, uh, we would be living the life of Jesus daily. And people might ask you, what is it that makes you different to other people? <clears throat> I'll never forget my daughter who works in the admissions at, in a hospital in Bundaberg. She's the first person people see when they come in for an operation. And this elderly gentleman came in one day and he saw my daughter there and said, um, why are you so happy? And she said, oh, because I'm a Christian. Oh, he said, well, I'm an atheist. Really? She said, if you're right and I'm wrong, we'll eventually go to the same place. But if I'm right and you're wrong, where are you going? And he said, gee, they've trained you well, haven't they? But I tell you, what a good question to ask just before an operation. <laughs> and then the other thing that you must know uh, under this point of the fear of intruding into people's lives is that we've been sent by Jesus to go and tell the good news and to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We have the authority of Jesus to go. When I have a little fear coming, I'm approaching a person's home, I say, Lord, what right have I got to intrude into that person's home and into that person's life? And then the, the thought comes, I've been sent by the Lord Jesus. He's given me the order to go and tell the good news and be a witness for him. And the fifth fear is the fear of not being good enough. Some people don't share their faith because uh, they feel that they're not good enough, strong enough, or qualified enough. You may have a number of certificates on your wall of all the classes you've taken on sharing your faith. You may know 27 ways of leading people to the Lord Jesus, but you're scared to start. What about the woman at the well in John's Gospel? And when Jesus witnessed to her, she went home and tell her, tell, told her whole town, there's a man there who tells me that if I drink the water that he gives, I will never be thirsty again. <laughs> the whole town come out to meet Jesus and get saved. Ask the question, how long should a Christian be saved before they begin to share their faith? Probably about 60 seconds. I was lost and I was found. I was blind, but now I see. Now I want to get to the Bible reading. In Acts chapter 4. And they're going to read from verse 23, but before I do, these men, <clears throat> these disciples, Peter and John, were the same ones that were there on the day of Pentecost. They were filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. They had been out talking to people about the Lord Jesus Christ and they were told by the dignitaries not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And they got scared to death. And we take up the story here in verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all these, all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. 
And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, here it is. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after the they prayed, the place was shaken and they where they were meeting and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And the next verse goes on and a great number of priests became obedient to the faith. Hallelujah. So when they were let go, they went back to their own group and told them what had happened and they began to have a real heaven-storming prayer meeting. They told the Lord what had happened and cried out to him to show forth his power and then something wonderful happened. Pentecost was repeated. The place was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit again and they spoke the word of God with boldness and their strength was renewed and with great power. The apostles told of the cross and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and great grace was upon them all and all those number of priests became obedient to the faith. All right, let me give you four steps in closing. The closing is going to be longer than the introduction, but don't worry. Let me give you a formula for handling fear from this passage of Scripture, from verses 29 to 31 in particular. Number one is the assurance that God sees our problem. They said, now Lord, consider or look at their threats. I want to suggest to you people today that God not only sees our problem, but he loves us in the midst of our problems. And the good news is this, that if you share your faith with a friend and they don't respond, or they want to think about it, or they want to totally reject the message, I want to tell you, Jesus is as much with you when they reject the message as when they respond to it. Hallelujah. He's with us in our problems. And they were told not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And Peter says, for we cannot but speak about the things that we've seen and heard. And they went ahead and did it anyway. The second thing that will help you overcome your fear is in verse 29, the, the latter part of verse 29, is a love for Jesus that is greater than our fear the fear of the world. Boldness to speak your word. Now, this boldness is not reckless impulsiveness. Boldness requires courage to press on through our fears and to do what is right. It was boldness for courage to face the challenge. But we must remember that the Lord and the devil will always be active when you share your faith. The devil is telling you basically, don't do it. And the Lord is saying, go ahead and do it. Tell them about my love. Those who are successful in sharing their faith, 
Their love for Jesus is the highest motivating factor than the fear they feel that keeps them from witnessing. It's the love of Christ that constrains or compels them. Let me digress slightly. Jesus has told all of us to be witnesses. Every believer is to be a witnesses, not to be evangelists. There are only a small percentage of evangelists in churches today. But every believer is to be a witness. Now, you know, in a court of law, a witness only tells what he knows. He doesn't have to convince anybody of anything. And so when we share our faith, we're witnessing for him, for the Lord Jesus, when the occasion arises and we leave the results to the Lord. Lord, give us a confidence, a boldness to witness that we don't have right now. The third thing that will help us overcome our fear is seeing God changing lives. Where it says, stretch out your hand to heal. And they were praying, the apostles were praying, Lord, do something, do something, let something happen when we share our faith. The Lord wants everyone to be saved. He's not willing that anybody should perish, but that everyone come to a place of repentance. Every changed life is a miracle of God. Seeing people want to Christ convinces us of God's power to change lives. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, it took a miracle to put the stars in place. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, it took a miracle to hang the world in space. But when he saved my soul and he cleansed and made me whole, it took a miracle of love and grace. Hallelujah for that. The fourth way, the last one, is found in verse 31, is the continual infilling of the Holy Spirit in your life. This shows us that it's not enough to be filled once. We need a continual filling. Now, these believers were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and now there was a need for a further infilling as the need arose. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 18, be filled with the Spirit. Now, the Greek grammar suggests be being filled or be being topped up. We can't just go back to a time in our lives and say, it was then that Jesus cleansed me and sanctified and filled me with his Spirit. The question is, does he fill you now? That's the issue. Does he fill you now? You may have the Holy Spirit, but does the Holy Spirit have all of you? We are to consecrate our life to him, yield our life to him, sacrifice our life to him, and let him come and cleanse and fill as a response. The prerequisite, well, let me just say this as I think of this thought. Do you have the witness of the Spirit? that you have been filled with the Holy Spirit. The prerequisite for sharing your faith is the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our life. If it was good enough for Jesus as to know God's Spirit upon him as he went out into the ministry, surely it should be good enough for us to know God's Spirit and anointing and blessing and a power upon us. Because when we are dealing with spiritual truth and when we're dealing with spiritual needs, we need spiritual power to be effective. That's why it says in Acts 1, before you go sharing the good news of the gospel in your home, in your neighbourhood, in your community or the workplace, one must experience 
the God, Spirit of God's uh, power upon you. You shall receive power, Acts 1.8 says, after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now we know that that Greek word for power is dunamos, where we get the English word dynamite. We know what happened a week or two ago over in Beirut where this explosion took place and that was destructive power. Think of it. The power of the Holy Spirit was given for boldness to speak and courage to face the challenge. You shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The signs following the filling of the Holy Spirit was power to speak, power to pray, power to discipline their, their lives, power to redeem the time. It's the Holy Spirit who equips us, folks. It's the Holy Spirit that sets us free from the fear of humanity. It's the Holy Spirit who, uh, that helps us see clearly our priorities. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us unction to say, thus saith the Lord. It's hard to know what the word unction means, but I tell you what, we need unction in the gumption so we can function at the junction. That's what I say. Probably another word for spiritual fervour and power and anointing that we need. Raven, Leonard Ravenhill in his book, Why Revival Terry, said, with all you're getting, pastor, get unction. <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit who sends us out of our homes. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us the authority to call sinners to repentance. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us the words to say. It's the Spirit's power that enabled Peter and John at that temple gate that made a difference in that crippled person's life where others before were unable to do so. The destitute state of our nation is not the only thing that motivates us. The eternal separation from God is not the only driving force, but it is the power the Holy Spirit of God filling and empowering believers. That should be the motivating factor. It's that holy love kindling that holy flame that moves us out. Why? Because we've got a story to tell to the nation. Now I'm going to wrap up now and I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come up while I calm down. I want to talk a little bit here in conclusion on... What turned my fears into faith? You'll see that on your screen. When I saw, number one, when I saw what Jesus could do and did for people. Number two, that God's word meets people's needs. The third point is that people are basically hungry to be saved. And then number four, that God wants to use even me and you. The thought came to me a couple of weeks ago that my grandfather had a book in his office, in his library, which I now have, and I found it the other day. It's a wonder I could find anything in my office, but I found this. The Soul Winner's Secret by Samuel Logan Brengle, and I thought, oh, how good is this? Because I'll be able to look at that and find some keys that would help the people understand and, and, and be able to lead people to Christ easier or better. But when I started reading it, I got convicted. It was all about the importance of our own personal life, like obedience, prayer, 
zeal, redeeming the time. And that was convicting to me because how many times do I have to replay Geelong beating Hawthorne or Geelong beating Port Adelaide? Replay, replay. And then he went on and talked about finances and renewing of power and having an undivided heart and the need for the filling of the Holy Spirit. It was convicting. God wants to use you and me, all right, but it's conditional. You see, the state of our world is enough to stir us and concern us, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit that sends us and gets us into action to implement the Great Commission. Every Old Testament character who had a special work to do for God began by saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The power in sharing the gospel of Jesus is not is letting the Holy Spirit to do the work in and through you. It's not being superior. It's not being flamboyant. It's not a matter of being showy, but being a channel through whom God's Spirit can flow. My question to you people today is, do you want to be a channel through whom God's Spirit flows? Are you willing to be used of God? The hymn writer sums it up well when he says we are to rescue the perishing. We're to care for the dying. We're to snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. We're to weep over the erring one. We're to lift up the fallen. We're to tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. That's our mission. That's our mission. Is there anyone here watching today that would say, hey, I don't know what you're talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. I'd like to know more about that. Well, you can let us know about that. We can help you in that regard. Are you willing to surrender and yield your life totally to the Lord Jesus and allow him to cleanse and to fill you, to be used of God? There's a prayer that, uh, in the words of a chorus, we used to sing. Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me that I may ever do my part to win that soul for you. Let it happen, Lord. Let it happen again. Do it again, Lord, in their hearts as there are people who might be saying, Lord, fill me afresh with your spirit. I need that fresh touch. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.